Hi there, this is Darren Spoo, pastor at First Baptist Church in Tulsa, and welcome to our weekly message podcast. We would invite you to join us in person Sunday morning at 8.30 and 11 o'clock in downtown Tulsa, or check out our webpage at tulsafbc.org. God bless you, and have a great week. Thank you so much. You may have a seat. Let me just make you aware of a couple of things going on in the life of our church, and then we're just going to jump in today. Uh, first of all, it, we encourage you to pick up a worship uh, announcement sheet when you come in. We have our offering boxes and the window ledges, and on the back is everything we need you to know as a first-time guest. If you're here for the first time, uh, we want you to experience the presence of God. If you want to come by our guest service desk here, we'll make a gift to Compassion International in your honor today. Uh, if you just give us your name, we want to bless somebody else at the Pregnancy Center in Haiti that we help support. And uh, most of all, we just want you to, to experience the warmth and the presence of God today. So a couple things to make you aware of. Uh, you might have noticed Student Takeover Sunday. They've been greeters. They've been ushers. They've been in the choir. Uh, and our student ministry is very active and appreciate them serving today just as we ask everyone in this church to be a part of serving the Lord together. There's a business meeting next Sunday I want to make you aware of. There's no big items on the agenda. We have some approvals to make, but what I want you to know is we are a congregationally-led congregationally church. If I could say it, I'd want you to know it, okay? And that means that we make decisions together. So there's no decisions being made behind the scenes, big decisions. We work together as a community. And if you want to see how that works, you can join us for lunch next week as we are pretty much an open book here as a church. And, the, and finally, the men's advance event uh, we're going to hear missionary Keith Wheeler a couple of um, Fridays from now and also enjoy some great barbecues. So if you're a man, I'd ask you to pay attention to that. Okay, so let's jump in. Uh, oh, and I need to grab a book over here. Hang on. It's right here. A friend of mine, Jeff Elkins, our worship minister, gave me this book in 2007. It's a book by Steve Turner called The Gospel According to the Beatles. Now, what I thought this book was going to be about, I thought it was going to be an exploration of the Beatles' music and how it connects with some biblical themes. That's not what this book was about at all. This book is about the spiritual pilgrimage of each one of the four Beatles, how they essentially all began in the Church of England, and they dabbled a bit in Eastern mysticism, and then John Lennon even had a connection, you may know this, he had a connection with Oral Roberts right here in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And so it follows their spiritual pilgrimage, and I read the book, fantastic book, but it sparked an idea. The Beatles have some songs that really do clearly connect with some biblical themes. And so I went back to Jeff and I said, I've got an idea for a teaching series. Let's play Beatles music. Let's connect them to biblical themes. And Jeff has never given me another book ever again. Because <laughs> it's a lot of work for him to do all this. I mean, my life is easy. He has to do all the work, right? And so we did this way long ago in 2007, 2008. And I decided to kind of reprise this series, all new material, some new songs, but what surprised me was how much pushback I got this time versus the first time we did this. First time, it was just fun. Now I've gotten a lot of pushback, namely from a couple of people. My daughter, she says, we ought to do the gospel according to Abba. I said, there is no gospel in Abba. Just, just real quick, how many of you are ABBA fans? Let me, let me see you raise your hand. Seriously? If you didn't raise your hand, slowly move away from these people, all right? 
So while there may be some ABBA fans, there's a lot of you who have never really listened to their music, and that's, that's one thing about the Beatles that's attractive. They pretty much speak a universal language. You, you may not be a fan or not, but everyone kind of knows the Beatles. I did get a phone call from somebody connected with our church. It was on a Monday morning. They were angry. They said, I can't stand the Beatles. And I said, Dad, you need to get over it, all right? <laughs> He said, what about the gospel according to Buddy Holly? I said, well, he's from West Texas, so I'll think about it, right? This group over here, y'all are the live wires today. The rest of you need to wake up just a little bit, okay? Okay, right over here, y'all are live too. Marina, thank you. So today we're beginning the gospel according to, to the Beatles, and I also want you to realize there really is nothing new under the sun. The chaplain at Stanford University in 1967... This guy's name is a trip. Bunyan Davy Napier. How's that for a name? He decided to do a series on the gospel according to the Beatles. He took uh, Eleanor Rigby, which is a song about loneliness. He did a sermon on the yellow submarine. I guess that was Noah's Ark. I don't know, you know. <laughs> but he said, no one deals with issues like these four chaps from England, right? And so we're going to look at some songs some biblical connections as they address some of the deepest needs of the human heart. Also in 1967 was the first global satellite link. It was going to be a 125-minute TV program connecting 26 nations around the world. Now that's no big deal. That was a big deal for 1967. In 1967, the crust of the earth had just cooled, right? So that was a big deal. So this global satellite link, 125-minute program, four million people, excuse me, 400 million people watched this broadcast. And when it came to the BBC's turn, they asked the Beatles to write a song that would have global application, a simple message that everyone could and should understand. And it boils down to five words. By the way, if you could say five words to the whole world, what would it be? For the Beatles, they decided all you need is love. Love is all you 
nothing you can know that isn't known Nothing you can see that isn't shown Nowhere you can be that isn't where you're meant to be It's easy All you need is love All you need is love All you need is love Love is all Love is all you need. 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 John, Paul, George, Ringo, and Bobby. <laughs> Those are the, are the Beatles. You guys going to stay around up here? You're welcome to if you want to, or you can. Have you had enough? <laughs> hey, would y'all appreciate these guys right here? This kind of felt funny. They were so close right here. So if you go back and you look at the Beatles anthology, almost three-fourths of their songs in the first two years were about love. This is a universal theme. And again, I want you to think about if you could say five words to the whole world, what would you, what would you say? And they chose, all you need is love. So here's where I want to go to, to Jesus's most important teaching, because he would echo this. But I want to ramp up to it. So this is out of Matthew chapter 22, uh, and we're going to get to the greatest command here in just a minute, but I think the context is also important. So some religious leaders came up and they were kind of grilling Jesus and they threw out a question about taxes. Now this was, this was a setup because they were in a dominated civilization. The Rome, Roman government was over the Hebrew people and they said, is it right to pay taxes to our captors or not? And so if Jesus had said, yes, it's okay to pay taxes to Rome, he would have been seen as a collaborator with the Roman government or at least a sympathizer. If he had said, no, don't pay your taxes to Rome, he would have been seen as a revolutionary and probably arrested. And so this was all a setup, but Jesus says, you guys are not seeing the big picture. It's not about should you pay taxes to this government or that. Quit worrying about coins that bear the image of Caesar, and remember, your life bears the image of God. So give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, but give this to God. Quit making everything political. And then there was another question right after that, and it was some kind of made-up story about a man among them who had been married seven times, and all of his wives had died in succession. Excuse me, a woman who had been married seven times. All of her husbands died in succession. You know, if I was husband number four, five, or six, I'd be really worried about that. <laughs> kind of see a trend happening here. But when she goes to heaven, who's, whose wife will she be, right? And Jesus says, you don't know the Scripture, or the power of God. He says that you're so caught up in minutia that you forget what matters most. 
Whenever I read that story, I think about an interaction I had with a pastor in Texas a few years ago. He had a family member that came to church here, and in their small group, taught by a geologist, he just kind of made in passing a statement that the earth is 13 and a half billion years old, or the universe is 13 and a half billion years old. This person disagreed, called their family member who's a pastor in Texas, and he calls me. He says, I can't believe you're teaching this kind of heresy in church because we all know that the earth is only 6,000 years old. And I go, well, by the way, Genesis 1 never talks about when the earth was created. It's not about when. It's about who. Who did this? And so this pastor was yelling at me over the phone because I didn't agree with his timeline. And all along, you know what? He may be right. I may be right. We don't know yet. But he was breaking one of the greatest commands that Jesus was absolutely clear about, love. It's not about your your understanding of all the minutiae. It's about what matters most. And so all of this leads up to one more question asked of Jesus. Jesus is asked, Rabbi, what is the greatest command of all? And Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 22, in verse 37. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Now here for just a minute, I think it's important to be clear. We need to define what love for God is. And there's a lot of really convoluted definitions we could get into, but I come down to this word that's repeated three times here, all. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with your core conviction. Love God with all your soul, your ultimate identity. Love God with all your mind to the utmost of your capacity. So very simply, love of God is loyalty, being loyal to Him in everything. All of our thoughts, all of our action, all of our behavior, all of our character. So how many of you would love the gospel according to Star Wars? I think that could sell, right? So there's this scene uh, where Princess Leia is talking to Han Solo right before he's frozen in carbonite. You know the scene I'm talking about? It's when Princess Leia looks at him and says, I love you. And the original line that Harrison Ford was supposed to say was, I love you too. But something about that just didn't settle right. And so he ad-libbed this line. Princess Leia said, I love you. And Han Solo says, I know. By the way, don't try this in real life. It does not work. (laughs) I've tried it before, and I've grown a lot since yesterday. Don't try this. It just doesn't work, right? Unless you're about to be frozen in carbonite, don't use that line. So as you're before God today, whatever level of loyalty you bring to the table, really, honestly, God says, I know. I already know. You don't have any secrets from God. So what I'm asking you to do is go back and fill in Matthew 22, verse 37, with whatever word seems best for you today. Maybe I love the Lord my God with none of my heart, none of my soul, none of my mind. By the way, that's not going to surprise God. He's going to say, I know. I mean, if you're absolutely cold and distant from God, he might as well just own it because he already knows. Or you might fill in the blank, well, I, I love the Lord my God with some of my heart, 
some of my soul, some of my mind. It's kind of like you, you're, you give God some of your attention, some of your focus, but there's so many other things that are distracting you. And maybe you'll get around to it someday. Or maybe you'd fill it in. I, I love God with, with most of my heart, most of my soul, most of my mind. Then in other words, you really have a hunger, but you know you're not there yet. Or would you say, and, and by the way, I don't think any of us are complete, but I'm trying everything I can that my ultimate loyalty would be to God. I want to have all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength belong to Him. Just fill in that blank. That's a good spiritual exercise because God is saying, there's no surprises here. I know, right? So Jesus is asked for the greatest commandment, but He goes beyond that. And He says, and the second greatest commandment. Okay, where is this coming from? Well, we'll see the connection here in just a minute. But you need to check out something that's gone viral. It's a video about Bill Morgan. This happened all the way back in June 1998. Bill Morgan lives in Australia. He suffered from a cardiac event, very nearly died. He was taken to ICU. He actually did die. They resuscitated him. He came back, got out of the hospital. He went to go celebrate by going to buy a lottery ticket. What a great way to celebrate getting out of the hospital. He scratches it off. Guess what? He won a $35,000 car. So here's a guy who's almost dead, now he has a new car. So the media picks up on this story, and so they catch up with him and said, hey, we want to just have a film crew recreate this event of you going to the convenience store and getting, you know, this big award. So he shows him in his old junky car, you know, driving to the convenience store, and he buys another ticket, and he starts scratching it off, and the camera crew thinks he's doing a great job acting, but he won again, $250,000. And he calls his wife and says, I'm having another heart attack right now. You know, talk about going full circle. So here, you think he won once. No, he won twice. They just asked Jesus for one command, but he says, no, I want you to see it twice. I want you to even be a bigger winner than this because love for God is not just about loyalty to him. It goes beyond that. And the second commandment is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. So as we've defined love for God being loyalty, I think it's also important that we define what love for other people looks like. And we could say that's loyalty too, but we need to get past some of the false definition of love that have been doled out by our culture. One is romanticism, and love is all a feeling. Well, it's, it's not. It's so much more than that. Or love is not just romanticism, love is inclusivism, that if I love somebody, it means I can never disagree with anything they've decided, that I have to take them as they are. That is not a true definition of love. One is all feeling. That's romanticism. The other means you can't use your own mind. You can't think on your own. So love is not romanticism. Love is not inclusivism. Love is not tribalism. Tribalism means I love only those people who like me and who are like me. That's not love either. It's so much bigger than that. And here I believe Jesus also defines love for neighbor. Love your neighbor as yourself. What does that mean? We all want what's best for our own person, don't we? Now, sometimes we don't always use the best judgment, but we all want what's best for us. That kind of love we ought to turn out to other people and say, I will will and to work toward your best interest, no matter what.
So here's the key and here's the connection between the two. Here's the hard part this morning. I hope you're ready. I love God only as much as I love the person I dislike the most. I love God only as much as I love the person I dislike the most. Here's an online confession. I know I shouldn't have done this, but I'm 83 years old, and I was in the McDonald's drive-thru this morning, and a young lady behind me leaned on her horn and started mouthing something. It was profanity because I was taking too long to place my order. So when I got to the first window, I paid for her order along with my own. The cashier must have told her what I'd done because as I moved up to the second window, she leaned out and, and waved, and I could hear her mouth, thank you, obviously embarrassed that I had repaid her rudeness with kindness. So then when I got to the second window, I showed them both receipts, and I took my food and her food too. <laughs> so now she has to go back through the queue and start all over again. Here's the part you'll want to amen. Don't blow your horn at old people. They've been around a long time. <laughs> you are not to clap at that point, people. That is not right. It feels good, but it's not right. So what I do, I use humor to open a door to slide this in again. I love God only as much as I love the person I dislike the most. These two things are connected. So now, if you're in Matthew 20, 22, in fact, even if you haven't used your Bibles up to this point, I'd appreciate you going over to Romans chapter 12 with me. Romans 12 gives perhaps the most exhaustive treatment, kind of a, a real granular level, on what it looks like to love other people, even those, and especially those, who we're tempted not to like, okay? How to, how to love people that, that really seem that they're trying really hard not to be lovable, right? Um, Paul starts this in verse 9. I'm just going to touch on this just for a moment. This is Romans 12, verse 9. Love must be sincere. I'm going to jump down to verse 14, but before I get there, I want to drop this in your mind. We spend our emotion on the wrong things. Most of us love a good scandal, about somebody who did something they weren't supposed to do or say something they weren't supposed to say, and we spend a lot of emotion loving that scandal. Or we love strife. There's the drama at the office and who doesn't like who and who said what to who. And not only do we love scandal, not only do we love strife, we love ourselves. We spend a lot of emotion on things that ultimately don't matter when we should be spending our emotions on people right in front of us who need to experience the love of God. And so I think what Paul does here, and by the way, I forgot to mention this in the first service, I'm, I'm indebted to uh, Tim Keller's book called Forgiveness for, for capturing some of this. So here's some things to do when you really need to learn how to love other people, especially those that are unlovable. Verse 14, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. The first thing you do with people you don't like is you pray for them. And I don't mean, oh, I am praying for you. <laughs> now, you caught that, right? It's you're a sinner, I'm a sinner, 
the least I can do is to pray for you. I love what, what uh, C.S. Lewis says here. He says, last week, and by the way, as you pray for somebody, pray that you forgive them. While I was at prayer last week, I suddenly discovered, or felt I did, that I'd really forgiven somebody who I've been trying to forgive for 30 years, trying and praying that I might. It took him 30 years to forgive somebody. Imagine how long it would have taken him had he not been praying. Here's one thing I'd encourage you to do. We all have those days where we wake up and we think about every enemy from our past, and we start rehearsing in our heads things we wish we could say to them, or we might just say to them, given the chance, start this discipline. Every time an enemy comes to mind, right then you say, God, I bless them and I do not curse them. And I pray for your best in their life. Here's what I believe. I believe Satan wants to derail you any way he can. And if he can get you thinking negatively about people, you're not loving. So if you decide my reflex, every time somebody negative comes to mind, my reflex is to pray for them by name. I think Satan will quit pushing that button because you've decided to do here to bless and not curse. I'm going to drop down a little bit just for time. Verse 17, do not repay anyone evil for evil. So as you pray for somebody who you don't particularly like, here's part two of this, we reject revenge as an option. As a follower of Jesus, you make a decision. Revenge is not an option for me. That's who I used to be. That's not who I am now. Alan Jacobs, who's a really sharp thinker, in fact, I think he's a professor at Oklahoma Baptist, he says the main sin in our culture right now, and I want you to think about this because we think, oh, the main sin is sex and gender issues. I think that's often a deception. We're often we're tempted to look over here and again angry. He said, the major sin in our culture is vindictiveness. Oh, and if you doubt that, just log on to social media today and scroll down. It's everywhere. But we as followers of Jesus decide that revenge and vindictiveness, they're not an option. Okay. Then, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what's right in the eyes of everyone. Look at verse 18. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Now, here's a challenging one. Have somebody you don't like, trying to love them, pray for them. Revenge is not an option. Here's the third one. Don't give up on them. And don't avoid them. Oftentimes, we'll say, okay, I'm going to forgive that person, but I want them to stay over here, and as long as they're away from me, we'll be fine. Come on, you know you've thought that too, right? So here's the deal, that there is a time when you banish somebody from your life, generally for two reasons. Number one, if they've been verbally or physically abusive, okay, you can forgive your ex who abused you, but it doesn't mean you have to go and marry them again. Okay? Don't put them in a position where they can harm you again. Or if somebody is just outright toxic and destructive. Okay? Now, honestly, those people are few and far between. They're there. But most of the other people we deal with, it's just personality, petty conflicts. We should never say to one another, I want nothing more to do with you. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with one another. That means you stay together until you work it out. And I'm not asking you to do anything that I haven't done. I, I got sideways with a church leader about five years ago, and we both decided we're going to meet together as much as necessary until we put this aside. And there was a meeting that we said, 
Okay, I forgive you of this and I forgive you of this. Then another meeting would go by and one of us would bring up something from the past and we'd go, no, wait, we already dealt with that. And it was a long process, but I can honestly say we are at peace with one another, not because it's within our ability to do it, because it's what Christ commanded and it's worth working on. Now, can I give you a little side note here? Good, I'm going to anyway. <laughs> Family is the school of relationships. It's where we first start have, learning how to do relationships. And if, if a person has a really tough family, it's tough to learn how to do relationships later on. But I think that's where the church comes in. The church is also a school of relationships, how we love one another in Christ's name. So if you have somebody you're crossways with in this family, please don't do this. Please don't go to them after church and say, I've had something against you for 20 years. Boy, I feel better. See you later. <laughs> don't do that. Okay, this is not about an airing of the grievances. This is not about what they've done. This is about your heart. So if you go to them, and I would encourage you not to do it in passing, take them out for coffee, get stuck with them for a while, and say, my heart has not been right with you. And I want to do whatever it takes to make that right. Because the Bible says that I should pray for you, that revenge is not an option, and if it's possible, I will live at peace with everyone. And that starts right here. Here's another one. Verse 20, Paul actually uh, references a proverb here. And I said this at the beginning. If you're not reading the Bible regularly, join me for my midweek update. We're, we're reading through the book of Proverbs together. Paul quotes a proverb here. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. Thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heat burning coals. Here's the principle. Give, dealing with our enemies or those we don't like, Give them what they need to whatever degree they will allow it. Give them what they need. They might not be in a position to receive anything from you, but to the degree that they will accept, serve them. And I've told you, and I'm going to tell you again, I used to be very selective with who I say I love you to, and I've, I've become, as I've gotten older, who cares? If I love you, I'm going to tell you I love you. And if I don't say it around you, you have reason to worry. No, I'm just kidding. You, you know. <laughs> What I, <laughs> there are things that happen in the internal monologue that should just stay internal monologue. But I never want those words to become trite, so what I'll often say, and just so you'll know, this is my code for saying I love you. When I say, I'm here to serve. I'm here to serve. If it's within my capacity to do something and you need it, if you'll allow it, I'm here to serve. That's a very tangible, has nothing to do with emotions. It's a decision to will and to work towards somebody's best interest. And Paul sums it up like this. Do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. That should be the theme, that should be the motto of our lives because there's plenty of evil overcoming good. We are called to be people who overcome evil with good. Did I say that right? I hope I said that right. We overcome evil with good. Agreed? Let me try that one more time. Agreed? All right. By the way, this overcome word right here in verse uh, 21, it's a military word. It means to conquer. This is not going to be easy. It's going to be a battle, but it's a battle worth waging, and it's a battle that Christ can win in us if we love God and love others. Do you have time for one more story? Okay, good, because I'm going I'm to give it to you anyway. Here, I just thought I'd let you consent to this. So I do a lot of funerals. 
I hate to say I've forgotten a lot of funerals, but one I will never forget. Because of the witness of a church member here, a lady late in life, in fact, the last month of her life came to Christ because of the consistent witness of one person in this church to her. She had been angry at God her whole life. Now, she didn't know she had a month left to live, but that's what she had. All of that dropped. She came to Christ. Unexpectedly, her life ended. Not only did I meet with her in her office before she died, but I met with her family in my office after she died, and the entire family was angry atheistic, okay? Not throwing any stones, I'm just saying that's, that's what it was. And they said, my wife, our mother, wanted you to do her service, but on one condition from us, we don't want you to mention God at all. We don't want any mention of God at the graveside. And I said, well, I think we have a problem here <laughs> because this isn't just a gig for me. This is not just something I'm hired to do. I really do believe, as we've sung this morning, that Christ is our hope in life and death. Now, I know you want to honor your wife and, and your mother, but um, this is a non-negotiable for me. So, so I stepped out of my office to let them discuss this. Then they invited me back into my office. It was nice for them to invite me back into my office. <laughs> and they said, okay, you, you do what you need to, but we're going to do what we need to. And I didn't know what that meant. And I said, listen, I'm not going to preach you a long sermon. I'm going to go from the Scripture. I'll use Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. This is meant as comfort. So we get to the graveside. I talk about the deceased for a few moments, and then I open my Bible. And the oldest daughter on the front row stands up. As I'm looking at her, she stands up, and she turns around, and she faces the opposite direction. She's not doing this because she's turning her back on me as much. And, and by the way, I'm going to watch this video later. And I'm going to see how bald I really am. <laughs> you see it all the time. I don't see it that often. She wasn't turning her back on me as much as she was turning her back on, on God. When I finished, she turned around and she took her seat. Okay. And we all survived it together. I would just ask you to use that as a visual today on where you are in reference to God. By the way, he already knows. There's no surprise. We talk about loving the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, loyalty, loving our neighbor as ourself that will will and work toward the best of people. Where do you fall with all this? And let's, let's put God up here at the cross. I'm kind of flipping this around. Are you say, all, I'm there. I'm moving toward this even though I'm imperfect. Or is your posture, is your direction something like this? Okay, God, you have my attention every now and then, but there's so many other distractions here. Or are you just full-on turned away, and you want nothing to do with him? God says, I know. There's no secrets. I know. But now you face the decision, is that the way you want to be? And it is never too late, as my friend illustrated a few moments ago, having one month left to live, it's never too late to say, I, I believe the one word God wants to hear from all of us, and that's just yes. And, and we talk about repentance. You, you know that's just a biblical word for turning around. Turning around and giving God your all. And then with your life, you follow the greatest commands, not because you have to, but because you want to. And you say with your own life, 
All I need is love. Why don't we stand together and pray together? God, this isn't about um, being a Baptist. This isn't about religion. This isn't about uh, being church people or not. This is about your greatest command. Jesus, you said it. And we have decisions to make. Will we live a life of love? Will we live a life of indifference? Will we live a life turned away from you or turned toward you? Well, that's a decision that you give to each and every one of us. So I pray during this time, as your presence is still at work in us, that that maybe it's time for us to reorient ourselves just a bit and turn toward you. Maybe it's time for us to say a simple, yes, you already know. Would we be honest with ourselves and with you? In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to end this time with a response song, and this is a chance for you to express to God what you need to, and and maybe um, you have never Maybe you have never said yes. This is a soul moment for you to continue on the track you're on or to say yes. I would encourage you to tell God yes, and then I would encourage you to talk to somebody. In fact, here in a moment, I'm going to step off this platform. I'm going to go right into our follow-up room. And if you know what you need to do, and right now is the time to do it, you just get out of these chairs, walk out the back, walk through this worship center corridor. The follow-up room is right across the hall. I'll be there in 30 seconds. Let's not wait. If you need to say yes, let's say it right now and to fall in love with God through Jesus Christ. Let's worship the Lord together. If you need to respond, I'll meet you right across the hall.
you sense the presence of the Lord today. Jesus Christ has been in this room. And I was just talking with a friend in the follow-up room here in just a moment. said, the only thing you didn't say was the words of Jesus. And I said, well, I'm going to say them now. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Here today, we are called to love God and love other people. Now, go do that, okay? That's the charge today. We've talked about it. Now go live that out in the name of Christ. Our announcement sheets, offering boxes are in the window ledges. If you're a guest, I'd ask you to pay attention to the back of that sheet. And may the Lord continue to bless you. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. Oh, forgot to say this. Follow-up room is still open. Come by and talk to me. I had to slide that in there, okay? Maybe we haven't had a chance to meet yet. That follow-up room is still open. If you still need to make a decision, there's a chance right now. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. May God grant you peace now and forever. Amen. Let's bless God together. Thanks so much for listening to our weekly message podcast. At the end of each worship service on Sunday morning, I offer a simple blessing, and I offer that blessing to you today. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you, and may God grant you peace both now and forever. Amen.